welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to, well, firstly, I suppose, welcome to 2023. Happy New Year. Hope this finds you well. I hope Christmas was okay. Um, but that's all all done now, really, isn't it? So, you know, let's not dwell on that. Let's move swiftly on and welcome you to episode 113 of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Alex Holmes, who is a mental health consultant, an author, and a podcast host. And Alex is a well-known and respected voice in the conversation around mental health, and his work focuses on masculinity, on connection, compassion, and specifically the ways that boys and men can achieve better mental and emotional health. And in this episode, I talk to Alex all about those things. We talk about growing up and how the societal blueprint of what a boy should be affected him as a young man and as an adult. We talk about men and being men and masculinity and we look at some of the reasons behind the shocking statistics around men's mental health and not just the talking thing right not just the why don't men talk because it's so much more complicated than that but why do men find themselves in a position where they even need to talk you know and to get into that we talk about self-awareness and emotional freedom, and going to therapy. We talk about the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Alex is a big fan of that, and we talk about how that relates for him to mental well-being. It's a wonderful conversation. I'm always interested in anything that Alex is involved with, really. I'm a big fan of his book. I bought that when it came out. It's called Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging, and Connection. Highly recommend you give it a read. If you want to understand yourself as a man, or understand the men in your life, or I suppose if some of the men in your life have trouble understanding themselves, you could buy it as a gift. But um, yeah, it's really good. I highly recommend it. And Alex just gets really deep into the stuff that he talks about. Um, He's very thoughtful about what he says. He's very articulate. He's really able to kind of explore this stuff and get his point across. He's actually in the process of training to be a therapist and you can completely see why he would be a wonderful therapist. Yeah, he's a lovely man. He's a fascinating man. It was a real pleasure to chat to him. His website is in the episode notes. There's links there to everything that he does. Go and have a look. You can connect with me in all the usual places at Proper Mental Podcast. If you want to get in touch, send me an email via the website. On that website... There's a page where I've kind of listed all the episodes. So we're up to 113 now. That's a lot of episodes. There's bound to be something in there that you've missed. And I've got all the episode artwork all in one place. You can just scroll down and have a look and see if anything jumps out. So go and have a look. Go and have a look at the episodes page. See if there's anyone you've missed. Have a scroll through. Have a dig through the back catalogue. There's some incredible conversations in there. And if you like this one, you're definitely going to like some of those ones. And to add to that list, this is episode 113 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Alex Holmes. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, and my guest this week is Alex Holmes. How are you, mate? 
I'm good, thanks, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. I'm kind of enjoying um like it feels I don't know if it is. Are you London, Alex? Yeah. I am in London. Yeah, I don't know if it is like round you, but it feels this week there's been that first sort of shift into the really cold winter weather, man. I can feel that switch into hibernation mode coming. So I'm kind of uh enjoying that today, you know, battening down the hatches, but I'm good. It's been similar feelings for me um I think I've just come back from Jamaica I was in Jamaica for a few weeks um at the end of October so I missed when the clocks went back so um it was just this really weird experience of ending back in the UK and everything was just dark and (laughs) foggy and rainy and it was just a surreal experience as to what is this <laughs> what is going on <laughs> yeah um so yeah it's getting into that I'll, I'll, the whole idea of um you know kind of hibernating and knuckling down yeah getting back yeah. into that yeah someone said to me only um only yesterday i was in a therapy session yesterday and my therapist said to me like there's never there'll never be there's never a better time than to sort of like work on something new than the winter you know because we have got so much space and things are a bit slower and there just seems to be more room to to breathe to kind of you know just play with these ideas and, and polish things differently and um yeah i quite like the idea of that i've never really thought of it in those terms before it's mm. getting used to the idea of um doing not doing stuff after a certain time because you know that when the when the when the when it gets darker and the sun sets and stuff, it's usually right around like at this point of the year, it's around five o'clock, sometimes earlier. And it's like when you're in the summer, obviously the sun doesn't set until around seven. So if somebody says, Oh, let's meet up around five, six, you know it's already still bright and you know. Yeah. But in the winter, you know it's five o'clock and it's already dark, so you're leaving in the dark. So it's just about rejigging the mind set to think okay it's actually still 5 p.m like you know what i mean um yeah Yeah, the amount of hours is the same right they just look different they just just look different yeah 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 that's cool man and i I wanted to ask mate as a a starting point today obviously a lot of your work is around uh, masculinity and what it means to be a a man in modern society and i thought we'd be quite interesting place to jump in is um with your own experiences of that but as a as a young man and when you were growing up were you kind of aware of these uh sort of masculine ideals and whether they they worked for you were you aware of that or is it only like through hindsight that you've kind of figured that stuff out yeah so growing up um what was really apparent to me was corrective behavior um and how often my behavior my mannerisms my authentic experiences as a boy were consistently shaped and curtailed by the people who saw certain things as less manly or less masculine or less whatever um because of their own experiences of what they feel masculinity is and what it was to be and you know it was a i used to walk with my feet inwards and you know and it was kind of like you know it was just like kind of really weird you know not really weird low confidence walk inwards sort of thing um and I literally had a masterclass on how to walk by my dad. Um, and it was all these kind of, and it's such a weird experience when I think back on it now. Um, you know, my mum mentioned certain things with regards to me walking in that way. Um, or the way I spoke, I used to speak very, very quickly, which I still can do sometimes. I used to really speed through my words sometimes, which was um, really interesting. 
because it was also reflected as such really chatty and then and girls the girls chat this way and kids chat this way but as you grow into an adolescent or a young man that's not really something that you're supposed to do um hold your knife and fork in this way you know when you're punching because I used to do martial arts punch this way whatnot a lot of the time um you know what I mean it's just a lot of different things like it was a lot of corrective behavior it was a lot of don't do this don't do that don't do this don't do that it was never really you know you are this you are that you know what I mean it's never kind of it was never affirming it was always corrective um and that's one of the big things that I've noticed growing up um and then just just reflecting back on my childhood um as a young boy that the corrective behavior caused a lot of anxiety from when I so when I stepped into a room I'm like I'm instantly conscious as to what I say who I say it to how I say it how I walk how I deliver myself how I the, the tension in my body as I, as I as I walk into spaces with family or even friends sometimes growing like you know so and and in some areas they that still persists that layover that hangover of that anxiety still persists in me um I'm an adult so I can do what I want um but and like I, and you know what I mean and I can be who I like you know I can be who I am I can really just be different um but it would be kind of, you know, just looking at how how that's kind of helped shape your behaviour to now is super interesting. Um, sometimes, and as somebody who's kind of like been, who's recently obviously been studying therapy and been studying as a psychotherapist and training in that area, looking at behaviour and looking at how that has shaped us um, is super interesting to our own individual um, experiences and our identity too. So um, yeah, to summarize, it was really just about coercive behavior, really. Yeah, I suppose with anything that's um, corrective, it's like kind of like, it's almost rules, isn't it? And how to behave. And when we're not quite sure what the rules are or, or how they apply to us, and you're constantly thinking, am I breaking this rule? Am I getting this right? Then it puts us in that state of constantly being scared to to step out of this little box that we've essentially created for ourselves and um, yeah. yeah masculinity is something that is governed by rules um and generally that is the that is what mas- the masculine energy is it is the rules it is the direction it is the drive it is that right and and we all have it men women non-binary folk we all have these these energies you know we have that in us um i think so when it comes to boys and it comes to those attitudes you know it's always that it's it's always rules it's always follow them or don't or follow them or there will be consequences it's always that and um yeah and and, and as you say it's kind of hard to know what the rules are sometimes because we are all so different yeah, yeah, definitely. And I suppose it's like uh, when we behave like that, particularly as a child, when we pick up those behaviours, because when you were talking then, it's like really, really identify that with my experience at school. It's, I kind of felt like it felt like everybody knew how this worked and I didn't. 
And my only way of dealing with that was to pretend that I did too. Right. And then in reality, we're all just pretending, um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of, kind of how it works. Gender is a performance. So yeah, there we are. <laughs> there we are. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, when I suppose when we feel that way and we're, um, having these behaviors, whether it's to try and fit in or to live up to certain ideals, then after a while we kind of normalize those behaviors. Right. So I always thought that any um i thought stuff like that with me was like a personality flaw you know i didn't realize that i'd conditioned to my to myself to behave in a certain way that wasn't really beneficial that wasn't allowing me to 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 be me and step fully into myself and my experience um but we can we just become used to it right we just come used to living that way and it become like almost like a subconscious way of navigating life is to look out for these traps and these rules and these situations yeah yeah and you know it's it's that will i be caught out is it am i am i standing out too much is this something that like if i get caught what will happen to me sort of thing and um we've seen it now with men who don't who aren't necessarily the archetype of what straight white masculinity is are you know vehemently attacked or whether that be physically or verbally um and you know it's this whole idea of just of, of shame and it's like utilizing shame to kind of correct behavior and keep people inside this pen and shame will keep you inside it because you don't want to be anxious because when you're anxious you're outside it now you've left it and then you don't have the protection of the group you know the protection of the community of the society of the people who are supposed to be on your side or keeping you safe you know yeah. um but you but you know if you don't if you don't uphold any of the rules within that group you're ashamed for it and you're thrown out and now you're left alone and i think that's a lot of what happens with men and boys like as boys develop into men there's this shame principle that allows them you cry like a girl you you like you don't play football why don't you play football that's yeah you, you play this sport that's very girly or that you know it's this fear of not wanting to be seen as a woman because the woman is the worst possible thing that you could ever be seen as as a man and um and that yeah and that feeds and that feeds into the gender question so much more and i think that that's and, and this, these are huge problems that a lot of boys are going through right now because the loneliness principle starts stays with them growing up because then they as i said to you earlier they begin to they begin to perform masculinity they begin to perform and overextend and overreach and overdo things because they want to they don't want their masculinity questioned and once because once you start inviting questions now that's when you have to start either being defensive or you don't know how to kind of interact with that. People can kind of start to manipulate and move and kind of alter the way they treat you and all these different things. Um, and largely people just want to be left alone. <laughs> I think I think that's like I think that's one of the one of the highest values that people have. They just really want to be left alone to their own devices within reason. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I suppose as well, once you kind of start to like overextend that idea of masculinity, right? And you start to play that role and big it up, like you say, um, it gets to a point there where you can't, you get to a point where you can't go back, 
you know, and you, even if you know in yourself that it's not right, even if you kind of feel uncomfortable with it, you can't, you know, you have to kind of double or you feel like you have to sort of almost double down on it. Right. And say, this is, this is me, this is what I do and I'm not changing and plow straight ahead. And I think when we, we don't have the option to kind of put the brakes on and say, Oh, hang on a minute. This is, I've tried this on and I've worn this for a few years and it doesn't work and I need to put it down and I don't know how, and I don't know how to tell anyone. And that's when we end up in that real sort of mess, isn't it? Caught between, caught between the two. Um, for sure yeah and you mentioned how that kind of um drove uh anxiety within yourself alex how did that kind of manifest as you as you grew up and grew older and journeyed through life did that stay with you or um how did how did that pan out yeah so the anxiety stayed with me for sure um again i didn't want to be singled out i didn't want to be isolated or alienated or you know, I've, I've always been somebody who has been introverted and I've always been somebody who's just doesn't really want to stick out, really. Um, I like getting on with what I need to get on with and doing my own thing. And again, we could argue that is that because of the way that I was conditioned socially to speak? I mean, I've done, I've, I do public speaking, I've done acting, I've done performing arts, I've I'm used to being on stage. I'm used to, I'm used to being in public. You know, I'm used to having that. Um, I'm not. I'm just not an extrovert. Um, and, but then this whole idea of shrinking and not wanting to be seen or rock the boat or do that stuff growing up, again, that could be a, that could be a socialization. So, I carried that with me quite a bit, going all the way through my own. Um, coming of age, I suppose, my own personal growth, my own understanding of who I am. And in each, in each like experience, I kind of see or, or have seen that part of me where I've reacted in ways that I would definitely not react now, but I've reacted in ways where I would kind of put myself away from the group. I would um, not say what I was thinking. I would allow people to talk to me in whatever kind of way that they felt that was 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 reasonable for them to do um i really wouldn't have my own back i wouldn't stand up for myself in a way because i always attributed aggression and assertiveness and anger as really negative elements of masculinity and disruptive elements of masculinity but at the set, but growing up and growing into my own version of what that looks like, I've had to understand that I can be assertive, but not necessarily aggressive towards others about that, with that, you know? I can say when these things have, are, are, are uncomfortable for me, or I don't like, you know, certain things, or I don't like being spoken to in a particular way. I can say those things now without it getting me angry or, you know, feeling as if I had my whole life, um, you know, kind of ransacked or whatever, you know, and like not really having a, or not regulating my emotions, all these different things that I feel we should be taught as boys to manage and deal with ourselves and be able to, and, and just not, not even, not by ourselves, but taught by elders or 
older men or whatever, just to be able to manage our expectations, our emotions, and kind of help us deliver that level of, of purpose and how we interact with one another. I think that's so important, but, we, but not every boy has that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It's only like, uh, for me, it's only a conversation that I started, you know, with myself once like things got to a, a a really terrible place, you know, when I had to start having these conversations before that, I'd never heard of anything like this, you know, and, and I think, like you say, it's so important for, for young people to, you know, at the very least hear the conversations, right? Because they just, they don't exist for, for so many people and you can't change what you don't know about, you know, what you're not not engaging with how did you come to realize that you needed to kind of tweak these behaviors mate how did you um, start on this on this path i think it's just several things i mean the first big thing that i always talk about are the breakdowns i had at work um holding holding back what i was feeling that stuff my insecurities kind of all came to the fore didn't feel like I belonged there. I mean, I had the racial element that went on and the class element and it was just, and I was in journalism, so which is a very white middle class profession. And there was a lot of different things happening there for me. Um, so the breakdowns were something that I realized that through therapy, I was just like, you know, these are experiences that I can't keep going through. And it wasn't, it wasn't work's fault. It was a lot of things happening in my environment. It was the lack of, the lack of quality friendships. It was deep, it was a deep loneliness that I was experiencing at the time. Um, it was a deep loneliness in, in, among my family at the time, feeling misunderstood and um, inauthentic. Um, and then at work, again, it was just that deep disconnection with what I was doing versus what I was feeling, sort of thing. Um, and the second thing I would say was just a lot to do with my interactions with people, my, my, I was, I was, I was in conflict with a lot of people all of the time. And I'm not somebody who likes to argue with people. I'm good with a debate. I love a good debate, but it's, it, for me, debates, you learn something from it. Once you leave, you know, like you'd be like, okay, cool. Like, I learned your side of you, you learned my side of you, we've met in the middle and this is kind of what it is, whatever. But an argument is one and over on other people. And I'm not, and I, and I kept finding myself in arguments with people all the time. I kept finding myself in really disconnected conversations with people, with disrupting relationships and falling out with people and then feeling as if I was the person that caused, you know, the, the issue and, um, and causing people harm and I felt like I was just an enemy or somebody that just wasn't a good person generally and I was made to feel that way because I allowed myself to I allowed myself to become that person that people would could then absorb themselves of any responsibility I was always like oh this is me this is my fault this is what I was doing um, and again that stems back from how I socialized growing up and kind of the position I had in my family. And, you know, I took on a, a lot of the brunt, a lot of brunt of the burden emotionally. And I, and that carried over into my friendships and into my everyday relationships and stuff. And it was just something that I just didn't really enjoy as a, as a feeling. I did not want that for me, you know? So I just said, 
And then, you know, and then all of that on top of me feeling like I was gonna have this breakdown and having and then having them and then going through health issues on the back of being overstressed. I just thought to myself, this is just all too much. I need to, I'm either not gonna make it to next year or I need to go and sort something out. And yeah, I think I just sat down and my friend said to me, have you thought about going to therapy? And I said, what would therapy do? And here we are, training, becoming a therapist myself, writing about it, talking about it, you know? So it's a really, been an interesting journey, I would say, but that's typically where it, it happened. Um, uh, that was around 2017, 2018. Right, yeah. It's, um, I think uh, going to therapy, there's all the sort of connotations around that as well, isn't it? That's like a funny thing for men to talk about, to men to be going to therapy. And there's a lot of reluctance to people starting. And like you said, then what will therapy do? That tends to be the most common common question i think but um is is interesting there when you were um talking about some of like your behaviors you know that your reactive behaviors to not being happy with the internal stuff and i was thinking about how i used to behave when i wasn't very well and when i was struggling and how now i have um i mean i sometimes still behave like that you know um but i'm at least i'm aware of it but um when sometimes when I look around me in day-to-day life, I see those behaviors in so many places, you know, and you realize just how many people are kind of like on this autopilot, right? And they're just kind of like reacting and responding and are behaving in a way that really isn't okay. But yeah. it's, it's, it, 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 I don't want to say it would do everyone some good because that's like a really wanky thing to say, but to have like a certain level of self-awareness, right. To kind of figure it to, to, even if you say something and then think about it and go, hang on, that wasn't right. Why am I reacting like this and try and read yourself a bit better? There's a, there's a skill in that, I think. Yeah. I always trace everything back and I think, well, what, what does, what's the message that is being sent to you at this, at this point, you know, like not everybody can be self-aware because, you know in order for them to sit down and consider their you know what is happening to them might be really traumatic <laughs> so or to really sit down and think about how they really or how their actions have impacted other people might be so foreign to them because it's just not something that they they've had to experience in any, at any given point um, I mean I've had men speak to me and say oh they're going into therapy now because their wives have told them to go and or they're splitting up with their wives and he feels he doesn't need therapy but she's told him he does and he's going to therapy but he's like I have no idea as to what it is and in my mind I'm like are you sure <laughs> that there's nothing here <laughs> at all um so many people just you know I mean and I would always say that you know therapy isn't always the answer um because not everybody can deal not everybody needs it but I feel like there's there's but there are healthy ways to cope and 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 start to and, and start to become more introspective and look at and look at what's happening but it's always but it, but it can be good to have somebody guide you in those in those conversations to support you in that space and I think that's where therapy is supportive and really helpful for people um yeah yeah definitely no it's, it's a really interesting way to to look at it really like I think you know, I'm, I'm drinking the therapy Kool-Aid and it's very easy to be like, everyone should do this. But um, yeah. yeah, you don't always want to look in the mirror, right? Like that everyone's doing the best they can with what they've got. And yeah, yeah 
And this is not, I mean, like everybody, like when it comes to therapy, though, I think that it's like, you have to want to do it. You can't, don't, I would always, I would never be like, oh, just go uh, because you have to, you know, I'd say you have to want to go. I think there has to be a, a there has to be a desire for you to be in therapy because, it, and that does take, and that is a bit of the self-awareness piece. It is that little bit of things just aren't working for me now in this in this area um i need support do i join a men's group do i join a women's group do i join um like like a, a support circle um can a therapist support me through this grief can the therapist support me through this transition i'm going through you know what i mean like it's not just tell me your deepest and darkest secrets and you know, and then I'm going to find a reason, if I find something wrong with you, quote unquote. But it's like, it's, there are, we know there are transitions we have in life that therapists can kind of support us with that family and friends can't really do. You know, therapists can, you know, poke and push in ways that friends don't have the privilege or the capacity, I should say, to do. Because yeah. I, what, what's at stake there? They lose their friendship with you. And that's something that a lot of friends don't really want to have to have to deal with. Or they carry the burden for you. And then, that, and then again, they lose their friendship with you because, you know, that's not their job to do that in that way. So, yeah, I mean, we could drink the, we could drink the therapy Kool-Aid all we want. But it's like... Um, yeah you know it's people have to want to go if they want if they want to get the best possible experience from it um and on the flip side some people have negative experiences with therapists as well not all therapists are made equally so um there's there's a lot of that too yeah yeah um, a previous guest once said to me finding a therapist is a bit like dating right you've got to got to try a few and get out there and, and meet a few and mingle a bit to find your, I had, find your right therapist i had a one-shot situation <laughs> I was like, this has to be the purpose I have or else I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't, I can't spend like three weeks trying to find a therapist. Um, I was like, I need to be in it now talking about my problems. And um, luckily I found a really, a really good one that I was with for three, four years. So, yeah. 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 Sometimes it, yeah. Sometimes it, it happens. You mentioned um, uh, loneliness as being a big part of your, your experience, mate. And that seems to be more and more in recent years we're realizing as that have been a real problem for men. Mm. And does that kind of tie back into these, um, you know, to this whole masculinity thing and the, and the rules and the way that we connect and see ourselves, is that kind of at the root of this lonely thing to some extent? Yeah. Men have a huge issue with, with, um, with, maintaining and maintaining and nurturing personal relationships outside of work. Um, the typical man who is married, for example, if we're talking about heterosexual men, that seems to be um, the most common examples that keep coming up. But, um, if we're looking at heterosexual men, they tend to feel, they tend to lose their friendships when they become, when they enter into a marriage, their, their, their social relationships tend to become their wives, their relationships, their wives tend to be the people who, um, 
who maintain the, the social relationships for the family, the Christmas cards, the birthday parties, the, the thank you notes, the, you know, the phone calls, they tend to be the ones that maintain that. Men don't tend to really have much of a, much, play much of a role in that area, you know, go to a, go to a kid's birthday party, usually the wife who has organized it. Um, very rarely it's the husband. Um, yeah, he's, usually, I, he's usually there with the other husbands you talking know about the party <laughs> that's so, so true yeah. yeah i've got little kids and um like the our setup at home is, is a little bit different a little bit unconventional i do a lot of parties and um they don't know what to do with me the mums do not know what to do with me and in the end i take my book and i'll just like sit in the corner and read my book because it's so it's just awkward for everyone so yeah. i'm just like yeah i'll just go get a coffee and tuck myself out of the way i know exactly what you mean mate. what do you mean they don't know what to do with you what do you mean because with- it's always the same kids from the same classes, you know, and it tends yeah. to be the same venues, right? There's like four different places where we go to all our parties right, um, and it's always the same mums and, um, you know, and they have their, uh, their social circles and they chat and then suddenly it's like me and I'm like, hi, <laughs> you know, and they just don't kind of know. Um, you can tell there's an awkwardness about it, right. but I, actually off that I've noticed how um, men and women um, on the school run interact completely different. And like, no matter what time I get to the school to pick up my kids, uh, the mums are there first. If I'm 10 minutes early, they must have been there 20 minutes early. And they all stand around in, in groups and those groups change every day. They all know each other and they're all chatting and they're all just letting off that little bit of steam. There might be like one or two other dads there and maybe we grunt at each other, you know, like a little little nod, little let on and, and that's yeah. it. And I think that, you know, and I, ju- I just see these women in these groups interacting and every day they just have that 10 minutes in the morning and that 10 minutes um, at three o'clock where they let off a little bit of steam. You know, and they're talking about something and nothing and a little yeah. bit of steam, a little bit of steam. And then they go on with their day. And yeah. then you look at the lads, the, the men, and we're like turning up. You grab your kids and you like march straight home. And there's none right. of that little decompression, you know. And I think there's got to be something in that watching those interactions. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it says a lot. It says a lot. And, you know, because, you know, girls and women are, are and, I, and I, I don't like saying this this whole conditioned to but socially the social prescription is that you know women are conditioned and told to share and they share their secrets with other women you know oh I'm going through this I'm going through that what's your son going through is he going through the same thing and my son's this and they have like, oh what's what can you help me with that you know what I mean like they have that men don't necessarily aren't necessarily conditioned for that they don't who do they bring their concerns to about their children to you know like I don't know you tell me you've got kids I don't but from what I've observed there's not many conversations like around like that in that way so as men in those situations that's just one example of manhood right and as, as men go through that kind of that, that example, they are usually with their with their wife or spouse or partner or whatever, and they um they are there to just perform the the nominal duties of fatherhood. You know, be there, be present. You know, enforce the rule of law, obviously, but give the give the other element of risk and playfulness, and you know, and and and, and the like. Kids grow up. And you know they're no longer there anymore, and now it's just you and 
you and your you and your wife your wife has you know is usually in concert in conversation or connection or communication with the kids often so they've kind of still got that going and then the dad is just over there <laughs> like he don't speak to the dad. the dad has where's his friends where's his social kind of life where's his stuff because once work it was work ends he's back home and and that's like a and that obviously that's a huge generalization not all men are like this you know i mean there are some there are very social men out there who have strong friendship groups and connections but in the main that is typically the trajectory for a lot of men and so when he gets to that point they become really lonely because they're like you know as a father who do they speak to about being a father about what it means to be one you know about connecting with their kids or you know like if they've got issues with that with being a father, do they go to their wives? Their wives have they like are markedly tend to do more <laughs> in the in the relationship with regards to kids and family and being a mother. There's a lot that comes with that. Do they have room to talk to you about you, you being a father and <laughs> like just do what you have to do? Because I've got to do this because a lot of women, you know, um typically a lot of women have a lot of they have to spend a lot of time thinking about the household and the family. A lot of their time is spent thinking about that, you know. Um, and you know, I, and I'm glad. To, I'm glad that things are changing with, say, our generation of men. We know, you know, we are more willing to share that responsibility and um, do the school runs and the pickups and the parties and the things like that. Um, there is still a long way to go, but yeah. You know, there is a lot of shame involved in both areas um, of, of that, and and you know, and you know, and there are similar things for there are similar things for black men and men of color. There are different things for queer men um, and what they have to experience in their elements of it. You know, what I mean, like there's all these different there's all these different um, things that happen to men that it's all designed for them to to, to to like to feel lonely and their purpose and their job is to provide and that's it but there's never this conversation of you know nurture your relationships build the community build the tribe around you learn what it's like learn what it means to be a patriarch and in in a in a new sense you know you have like you know be emotionally available understand what that looks like and what that means to your kids what that means to your spouse partner um and 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 so on you know it shouldn't be weird that you go down the school run and you join the mum's chats and just like oh hey what's little sally up to this week <laughs> like it shouldn't be strange it shouldn't be strange you're concerned about your kids you know yeah um i don't know if you've watched from scratch have you watched from scratch yet i haven't no no so without spoiling it there is a scene where the father has to spend quite a bit of time at home now because he hasn't, he can't go out and work. So his wife has to go and do more, like go and do her work, do the work or spend more hours at work. So he spends a lot more time as, as the raising their daughter. So he's taking her to school, he's picking her up, he's putting her to bed, he's cooking for her. He's talking, he knows the kids, he knows all that stuff. They have their inside jokes as, as you know, father and daughter. Oh, you know, Bethany S does this, Gabrielle is that, Gabrielle's mum does it, you know what I mean? Like they all have they have their little thing. And um and it's it's just super interesting because it's like, why is that not normal? 
why is that not normal? Like the mom comes in and she feels kind of envious of their relationship because she wants to spend time with her kids. She's the mom. Why can't she do that? And he's the dad and he shouldn't, you know, he shouldn't be doing that. And all this different thing, all these these things that we should and shouldn't do confuses us. And yeah, there's, yeah. A, lot, there's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> there is, isn't there? Yeah, 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 definitely. And, you know, you mentioned the the mom in that situation, looking at the father's relationship and having those feelings of, um, you know, jealousy and, and missing out and stuff like that. And I think a lot of dads feel like that, right? I think a lot of men in, in general. And um, yeah, it's funny, but you can't say that you feel like that. So like with the loneliness thing, right? So I live near Liverpool and I moved here. My wife's from here. So I moved here. When I moved here, I didn't know a soul. Never been here before. Completely new. It's like I just parachuted down into a town. Got and you. I didn't have a lot of opportunities to meet people. I didn't know how to make those opportunities, how to meet people. And I mentioned at the, the start of this that I'm a quite an anxious person. So stuff like that can be challenging for me. And then I became really, really lonely. But I can't, you can't say that you're lonely as a man. You feel like you can't, right? Like when I was at school, one of the worst things you could be was a Billy No Mates, right? So to kind of, to, to sit down and I couldn't sit down and say, right, I'm lonely. I need to connect with other people. Um, so I had to double down on the, on the macho side of that, you know, I had to say, I used to say things like, oh, I don't need, you know, friends. I'm one of life's solo artists. That was like something I said a lot, you know, I don't need a band. I'm good on my own. You know, I, I like my own company. And, um, but loneliness was a massive factor, but I didn't understand it. You know, I didn't understand lo- And I had sort of loneliness and vulnerability and, um, being an introvert and liking my own company. I had that all kind of like, all like mixed up and I didn't understand the words. And I think sometimes, um, with a lot of men, that can be a lot of real problem. Just this idea of vulnerability. Now, I don't know what it meant. I thought I did, you know, but I didn't really. And it's probably only in the last couple of years I've come to get a better understanding of what it, of what it means. You know, we know the words, but we don't know really what it means and how it applies to us. And I think that's a big part of the challenge as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I wanted to. Um, I wanted to ask you. You know, you mentioned before as your your breakdown started and stuff like that. And, um. How was the response to that? Because, you know, from the people around you, because I think it's a really important question, isn't it? That like different, um, different communities, um, you know, have different ways of looking at things. You kind of alluded to it um, before, but how is mental health kind of viewed in the, um, with people from a, a Jamaican community, mate? Is that sort of, that's, it adds a different level of, of things to think about, right? A different level mm. of stigma, I suppose, to how we navigate these things. Yeah, big stigma big stigma what do you have what why why do you go to therapy what's that for why or um what do you what problems do you have why are you tired you shouldn't be tired by anything you're not doing any work quote unquote these kind of these kind of these kind of conversations you know like i think i mean these are these are the most generalistic uh comments i mean there's not every jamaican or every black person that thinks this way but yeah i should have caveated that question yeah. right i'm not asking you to speak on yeah. behalf of everyone <laughs> but again these are like the generalized kind of statements that tend to come with it um especially with ethnic communities because um for so long ethnic communities were kind of um pushed away from getting therapy you know um if we go back to, to post-slavery times you know, a lot of black people were. It was outlawed for them to go to, to, go, for them to, go to therapy. They didn't need it. Um, um, you know, it was also like it was also, you know, things like running away or um, post-traumatic stress disorder and all this different stuff were all categorised as um, 
syndromes from syndromes and things that slaves went through um, and they just had to be broken into and all this different stuff and I think it's just um over time it just becomes this thing where it's just so taboo it's like the whole medical um uh the distrust in the medical um in medicine and um you know not sure what you're going to be injected with or all these different things I have relatives who you know were um, injected under the and sedated under the mental health act and they haven't been mentally right since um you know they've been in a constant on a, in a constant state of not their full capacity because of that and um and i just think it's something to really understand so there is a there is a valid fear of this stuff um because when you start to un and you know when you start to undo all of these things um it can you can really unravel a person and i think one you know one of the big things that i'm learning is that you know we need community and we need people to support us in these processes or else we're not going to be able to do well but if you go into therapy and then you know and you're not supported or you don't have anybody to support you you're just there dealing with all the stuff that's happened yourself and it can be overwhelming um so it's a it's kind of a it's kind of a back and forth conversation that I keep having with members of the African and Caribbean community because when we have to swear, I'm very big on naming things, you know, like I'm very big on saying that is abusive. Doesn't mean that you are an abuser. It just means that this is abusive talk and very abusive actions that we are going through right now and about making that clear that I'm not attaching it to them as a as an identity but this is what the action is you know and making it very clear and I think that um when it you know it, within these kind of communities it becomes and I think you can get it in any community but in, the, in these communities I think it's just this idea of um you know nothing that you know everybody's done their best you know african and caribbean communities are very big on family very big on um family values and you know you know respect for elders and all these different things and a lot of families feel that they have done their best in having in trying to raise these kids and trying to do their best in a society that doesn't see them doesn't support them doesn't love them doesn't appreciate them or or help them become or be better in this space like you know it's a struggle for a lot of black and asian people and um it's like a you know and so when you sit down as a millennial and a gen z child that's to them as you know millennial and gen z adult an adult child to them and you say to them you know I have anxiety or the pressure that you put me under, it has not been good for me, or um, I, can't, I can't live up to your expectations, so I'm, I'm, and I'm really depressed because of that. Um, you know, I have suicidal thoughts because of that depression and all these different things. And you try to say this to them, it becomes very difficult when, when you know, most of the culture is rooted in I've done my best and this is all this, you know I mean? I'm coming and we, we never had these, we never had 
therapy. We never had this language. We never had this words. We never had to do this. And we would never talk to our parents like this. And everything you're saying now is an affront because I've done everything I could for you. Um, and then you root it and base it in religion as well. And it just becomes this whole other conversation about stuff, you know? Like, why go to therapy when you can go to the Bible, the Quran? You know what I mean? All these things. And it's just, it's just about, it's just about understanding what is happening, you know? It's not saying, it's, it's saying, it's just calling a spade a spade, you know? Like, this is what happened. This is what happened to me. This is what I experienced, right? You can say otherwise as an adult, because an adult has a, you know, they see things differently to kids. Kids see things differently to them. Both are the truth, but whatever, you know what I mean? The perspective of feelings and all this stuff and environment, you don't know. Um, and we, I, I'm just always being of the opinion that, you know, we need to get better at sharing these stories, you know? Like, yes, I speak to a lot of men about this stuff, but I'm also keen on younger men speaking to older men and getting getting the getting the real story, the real conversation, because you know you can't protect kids for so long because they they can suss, they can really suss out when they're being fed a lie, you know. They need to be they need to see their adults and their elders as human. And I think within minority communities, like it takes a while for us to see our adults as humans because of the way of the of the weight they have to carry. In a, in a society that does not see them and they carry such a strong weight and they carry it with such, sometimes such panache and such finesse that you think to yourself, they've got everything under control until you get to like 18 and you see, 19 and you see that they are actually human beings and it's hard for you to kind of really undo that. And I think that's, and that's where therapy does come in to a lot of different stuff as well. Um, it is hard. It's hard. You've got to build trust. You've got to feel like you belong. You've got to be able to connect. You've got to do all these different things, especially and you know, and um, especially when you're in a when you're when you're the cultural minority in a country. Who, you know, it's just what it, it. You know, it's just it's the nature of the beast. Yeah, it just adds a yeah, just more more depth and more more layers to what already is a complicated situation yeah, and, and it and, just and, stirs and it, it up yeah it's no surprise that people end up feeling lonely and by themselves and stuff because they spent a whole year fight they spent all their years fighting and because they spent their all their years fighting they have no one left by the time they get to 80 90 and then when they can sit down and, and you know and they are quote unquote no longer productive to society they have time to think about all of this stuff they're like, oh my God, like my kids are 50, my my grandkids are 20. Wow, like, like why why aren't they coming to see me often and do all this stuff and stuff? And you know, how did you treat your kids growing up? Like, you know, but they would never look at that and think to themselves that they did anything wrong because they tried. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like I say, doing the best with with what they've got. And I think a lot with the the um, generational stuff as well when we look at some like really like horrible and hard things that have happened in society we talk mm. of them as if it's the distant past and when you look at it in terms of people you know like I think about my grand my both my grandparents were in the war that's like you know what I mean it's like a couple of generations back you know so that's the generation that were um you don't mind just, me asking how old are you how old yeah. am I I'm 41 41 okay yeah yeah, yeah. so like my my parents around the 70 mark and yeah mm -hmm. so my grandparents uh 
um, yeah, 20 on top of that really. Um, but yeah. And I just kind of, you know, I look at the, the life they must've had and, um, you know, you can't, you're not exploring your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions when there is a war, right? Cause you're worried about the rations running out. And then, you know, my parents are the first generation set back from that. So it's a very different environment. And the, the gap between my childhood and their childhood, even though it's only like, you know, it's only a few years, it's one generation is massive. And I think the speed that things changes as well, it really, the, the gaps between generations, but also being really, really close to, these like horrible things that have happened in the world it's mm. yeah it's a lot right it's a lot yeah. to kind of uh to process and it is yeah it's a lot to process yeah. because you sit there and you're like to yourself well damn a lot can happen in a lifetime whoa yeah yeah it really can man it really yeah. can yeah there's um I, a couple of things i really want to uh, touch on mate i'm a little bit conscious of your time but um mm. it's something a word that popped up quite a lot when I was preparing for this and I was on your website and I was reading your book and stuff like that is like the word freedom and freedom around like emotions and stuff like that. What do you, when you talk about emotional freedom, what do you, what do you mean by that? I mean that letting them, letting these emotions come and happen without them being attached to shame. Um, being able as men to experience joy and happiness and express that, you know, like literally walk around the house. How often do you walk around the house and say, I'm happy today. Let's get it going, guys. Ah, and you're going to say running around shit like with your kids and, you know I mean? You're bringing the excitement and they're feeling that excitement from you and you're joyful and you're happy that they're there and they're happy that you're here. And it's just a experience for you guys. <laughs> like you just an experience that you bring. A lot of men don't feel that they can be happy or joyful because it's an it's like it, it you know it's an expression of a particular kind of energy that they've just not been allowed to have. I was always taught, don't be too excited, don't be too happy, calm down, do all this different stuff. So there's that. There's the freedom to be angry, but not to be violent. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, so, very much so. So there's a feeling to be angry, like be able to kind of be angry about something and know why you're angry about it and address that in a way that doesn't that, that, that doesn't leave the whole place upturned, you know? And with the intention to address the fears that you're feeling, the injustices that you have, you know, all of that stuff. Because anger is just, a, uh, you know, an injustice has happened and you want that to be rectified and cleared, right? Yeah. Because you're, because you're afraid that you're going to be in a particular position if you don't if you don't get that done. So there's that. There's sadness. If you want to feel sad, you want to be able to, if you're sad about something, you want to be able to feel sad. You want to be able to feel sad, wholly sad. Like, you know, you don't want to, you know, there obviously there are things that, you know, you don't want there are things that you protect kids from and whatnot. You don't really want them to see you in a particular way because then it kind of you don't want their issues to be your issues and stuff. But I think there's a balance mm. and stuff. Kids need to see adults as fully functioning human beings to be able to understand how they can navigate their emotions. You know, kids are so emotionally aware. I've got a niece who literally will come up to me and be like, "Why are you sad? Are you okay? You need a cup of tea? You need a this?" And she's like five, and I'm like. 
I'm like, I'm like, where did you come from and how did you get here? But yes, please go and get me something. Um, <laughs> like, um, within your capability as a five-year-old, you know, I don't want you boiling kettles, but, you know, <laughs> a fruit, maybe, you could be, you know, you know, get something. <laughs> um, so along those lines, you know what I mean? I just want to be, I want, um, when I, my big thing is that with men, I do want us to feel like we can experience these emotions and the full spectrum of them without 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 us feeling like we are wrong or just false men you know yeah even when, even when I work with women it's like I don't want them to feel that they can't express I mean I've, I've spoken to women who feel like they can't you feel like they can't cry you know what I mean it, it, it happens people feel like they can't do particular things um because of the way that because of their own experiences with crying and what that looks like you know if you're consistently if you're consistently and systemically shut down about you know what you're crying like if you're crying like you know if you're crying as a man and you're crying in front of your dad there's a feeling and if you if your tears are not validated then you're not necessarily gonna when you cry, when you when you get to the point of crying again, you're probably going to stop yourself because you you already learn that that's not acceptable, at least you know in this way. So and for me, I'm just like I want us to feel that we are free within our emotions to be able to kind of navigate what it's te- what they are telling us about a situation. Mm. Right? People yeah. can use and manipulate these things, but <laughs> in the main, I'm just like you know what, like if you're sad, feel sad. Don't stay there for long, but I want to be able to sit with somebody who is sad and help them kind of get to the next place they need to be. But they need to understand what that sadness is. They need to get that. They're happy. I want them to feel happy and, you know, and express that and share that with them. Enjoy and, you know. Yeah. And I suppose if we, you know, we can't just, um, we can't separate those emotions, right? So I can't push one thing down without pushing down a bit of something else. And then that's when it all gets, uh, all gets confusing. But um, it's interesting you mentioned the, and the kids there, you know, like we've just got it when it comes to little kids, we've just got it so back to front, you know, it's always like grown ups need grown ups know best. Um, but, you know, my children have showed me the way on so many things, you know, you watch the way they the way they feel, the way they play, you know, the way they explore, the way they move, you know, the physical as well as the the emotional. And then you kind of like I watch them sometimes and I realize what what was like conditioned out of me and the stuff I'm like I'm in therapy learning how to do now. And you think, oh, that used to be like default, you know, you can see it happening in them. And um, yeah. yeah, always, uh, always interesting. Yeah, it is. It so. is. It's so, so, so precious, man. I think kids are just like the best things that are that, that that humans can create and bring into the world it's just it's just unfair what we do to them yeah yeah definitely definitely um something else i really need to talk to you about mate and it's mm-hmm. something that i'd kind of from following you on social media i knew mm-hmm. you're into and it's something i kind of associated with you but i didn't know that um it was something you used in your work till i saw it on your website but that's um that's harry potter mate that's um <laughs> we got to, we got to go there. We could have done an hour on that easy, but, um, this is my favorite, is my favorite topic in the whole entire world. You know, I, think <laughs> just, I don't know what kind of can you've opened. So just be aware. Yeah. So go on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just the, what is it about that, that particular story and, and set of books and films that, that connected with you, mate? All right, cool. So taking a step back from that, mm. so before we get to Harry Potter, we take a step back from that. 
Um, I'm, I love young adult fiction and children's books. I love them. I mean, I've got like a whole stack. I went through, whenever I go through a dark moment, I reread the Harry Potter series, a series on fortunate events. I've got a series called the Charlie Bone series. Um, and I've got a series of like young adult fiction all over the place, right? Because there's just something about tapping into the way young people think about particular things and experience reality and experience life that is so grounding for the inner the inner experience of your childhood yeah um for me as a young adult when i was around between the ages of 14 and 17 18 i was a big big reader and i read all the time and i was always reading fantasy and I was always reading young adult books and I and I felt that they were good until I felt like I had to grow up so I started reading crime fiction <laughs> and then I started reading general fiction and I kind of phased myself out of it which and I and I don't know why I did that because I love young adult fiction and I found it and I found my way back to it I found my way back to it every couple of years but I'm here now with it fully as a 30 year old and um Young adult fiction for me is one of the most important genres because it teaches young people how to deal with particular elements of particular elements of life in ways that are accessible to them. So when I think about Harry Potter um, and growing up, and I was so invested in that series, like and it went and it, you know it, it, a lot of millennials, you know there is a big joke about it being like. The millennials are having in, they're in bondage with Harry Potter that sort of thing right um and yeah we would be you know we would be in bondage with Harry Potter because it's it, it literally the movies came out when okay you know there's two you know there's two parts to millennials you know there's the 80s there's the 80 to 89 and then there's the 90 to 95 or whatever it is right anyway the second part of millennials yeah by the time they were able, by the time we were able to read and kind of really engage in these stories, the films were coming out. So by time, so we could actually watch the book, read the book, and then watch the films alongside and read and watch and read and watch. So, but so we literally grew up with the whole thing, yeah. But we understood that within these books, there is there are conversations around grief. There's conversations around loneliness. There's conversations around friendship. There's love. There's family. There's mothers. There's um, there's unrequited love. There's all of this. There's all of this stuff. There's father figures. There's magic, obviously. There's um, enemies. Um, there's fathers and sons. There's all this stuff. There's all this stuff that is just happening in this universe, right? And like. I think there's I just think there's life lessons and everybody should just read the books, you know. Like I think I think it should just be prescribed reading for everybody. However, not that that not that being like, you know, not that being said that the author I disagree with completely. I find yeah. I find her repressed, like I find her absolutely disappointing and a disgrace to literature in itself, just as because literature is not just about you writing the books and everybody's reading books and consuming them it's a it's about what you uphold as the writer too you know what you what you choose to share and how you kind of share those things with people you're writing children's books 
children are listening to you and a lot of people who are who have looked up to you for the rest of your life have been children and are now adults and their lives have been shaped by your books so there's a responsibility there that I don't think that she's upholding um anyway back to the books the books are amazing you know what I mean like I find them like the stories the stories are amazing sorry and I think and I just and the things I learn from them each time I read them is um the things I read, learn from them when I read them are kind of are always groundbreaking for me. They've always been something that I've kind of always had um, going through my mind and whatnot. So I, yeah, so I tend to use a lot of I tend to use a lot of storytelling in my books, uh, in my books and storytelling in my work. Um, and yeah, Harry Potter does come up a lot because the whole even when it comes to talking about the depression and you know talking about dementors and what that takes from you and where that goes and kind of what that brings back with the happy thoughts and the kind of the, the thought that brings back a powerful emotion and, and in those kind of areas so it's a good way to articulate some things by using stories I don't only use Harry Potter but I'm a avid fan but you know what I mean but it's it's something there we have all these resources around us and such amazing minds that have created these stories um love love them yeah, I think there's something really special as well. And it's quite rare about having something, the like longevity of it, to be able to start a journey and become invested in a story, but then see that story over such a length of time and watch the characters um, change and age and, and grow up and go through different things at different points. And it's something that, you know, that's really rare. It's, um, yeah, like I kind of got into it for like via my wife. She's a, a massive fan. And the running joke in our house is she has yet to get a question wrong on Harry Potter Trivial Pursuit. So if you're ever in a quiz and you're looking for a, and you're a person down, <laughs> my, my missus is a volunteer. Yeah, but, see, I, I love that. I, lo- I love that. I, I, I just, yeah. I don't know where it comes from, but I just have the knowledge and I have the time for that series. <laughs> I don't know where, you know, there's some things you just have the, you just, there's just a space in you stuff you know yeah just fits and connects and yeah yeah it's a beautiful love thing it. man yeah it's lovely love to it. chat about it's like you really lit up when we started talking about that man it's really beautiful <laughs> I'm to telling see. you it is uh yeah my sister would say i'm in bondage with this series <laughs> and i'm like yes i am um yes i am yeah but um yeah, yeah no but i just i definitely think that uh, it's really important especially if we you know if we do kind of like link it back to working with boys working masculinity working mental health and whatnot i think it's so important to really kind of go back to things that make us feel good you know and when i say good i don't mean like at the expense of other people but feel good about ourselves just the act in itself like some people go back to old music and you know they really delve into older old, like albums and things that they grew up with and stuff and they really kind of go in there and they and that's, and that's what brings them back to who they are some people go back to films some people go back to books and some people you know what i mean and and like you know and a lot of men go back to sport go back to football and you know when they think about the like the 90s say or like the heyday of certain of a football era whatnot they look back at that and it, and it brings them it brings them joy it brings them that glint and a lot of men lose that glint as they grow older because they have to put away their childish ways according to the bible and they have to do all these things and it's like why why do you have to put away those childish things like i, I i've sat down with my dad routinely and asked him do you 
is there nothing that you thought that you could have done that you would have wanted to do that you didn't that you haven't done and he said i'll come back to you on that one because and it, it's a big question sometimes because it's like what is it that you wanted to do that you didn't do like what 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 gives you that spark you know yeah you know i mean like i love taking photos I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an amateur photographer but i i love taking photos and it gives me that kind of that, that that spark again i love writing i love reading those books and whatnot and i have to maintain a lot of time and energy to be in those spaces or else i lose part of me yeah yeah and i think as well when if we uh as a creative person and if part of your income is from a creative pursuit then it's also really useful to have something that you're not trying to monetize you know i kind of monetized all my hobbies and turned them into my job thinking that would give me a job that i really liked and although it did it meant i didn't have anything i didn't want to come home and do it anymore you know and you'd kind of lose a part of yourself that way yeah. but um yeah what have you got um coming up mate the podcast is back after a little uh break i'm halfway through the um gregory david roberts episode um yeah. one of my favorite books ever shantaram was just a yeah amazing amazing book so i've been really yeah. enjoying that man but that's back right and yeah um podcast is back i'm going through a process of a reinvention with it um just because i'm changing so you know i mean I, the podcast is changing too i'm so attached to it um but yeah going to minimize the the interviews and increase conversation um conversation topics around stuff just me speaking um and um yeah i'm looking forward to kind of what what comes next with it um whatnot so i would always say just people just enjoy what's there now um because what comes next is going to be so much better and so much bigger um i think and um I'm almost all about trying to get people to think about themselves, <laughs> not in an egotistical way, but just, just, just to consider stuff, you know, just to think about things generally, like how we, how we contribute into the world, how we contribute into society, what does that look like for us, um, generally. So yeah, I mean, I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. I mean, yeah, I, and your one's doing great too. So you know, I mean. I love being here and part of these kind of conversations as well. So, oh mate, it's let's been keep absolute, it up. Yeah, let's man. Up. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. I can't thank you enough for your time today, mate. And there was so much, so many different aspects of of what you do that I thought, you know, that I could have took it. You know, it was um, mm. there was yeah, just so much to talk about, and um, yeah, it was uh, you gave me lots to think about. I really, really appreciate your time, mate. That was brilliant. No problem at all. Thank you for asking me to come on. It's really My A big up to the proper mental podcast. The proper mental podcast. <laughs>